0: I am not Pastor Mike. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first round. That's not what my wife thought I was going to do. It's not what you thought I was going to do either. Uh, So I'm obviously not Pastor Mike. Um, I don't know you guys. Hi, I'm Wes. The rest of y'all I think know me. Um, Maybe. Uh, I'm the assistant pastor here. Um, So we are not going to be continuing through heresies I'm not going to teach a heresy. I let Mike teach a heresy. Uh Uh One person got that joke. Okay, well, rather, uh, we actually got asked if we could do a few lessons on forgiveness. And so we're going to break them up. I'm actually going to do today's lecture, and then Mike's going to come back into uh, the class on historical heresies. And uh, he'll pick up with this forgiveness thing probably when we get to the end of that class. But uh, as I'm going to be preaching at every PCA church in Oklahoma but this one the rest of the summer, this seemed like a good time to, and he's away today, this seemed like a good day to throw this in here. Uh, So, that's where we're at, that's what we're doing. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights to separate our sins as far as the East is from the West. You're a God who takes joy in having mercy and showing grace and forgiving sinners like us. Uh, Help us understand our own forgiveness more today, so that we may love you more, and be enabled to forgive those who sin against us as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We ask you, Holy Spirit, to attend our Sunday School for this purpose, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, there are a lot of things you may have heard about the concept of forgiveness. Maybe you've heard forgiveness is to forgive and forget. Or forgiveness is to just let it go. Forgiveness is releasing resentment. Okay? Forgiveness, this is a technical definition, is relinquishment of negative emotions such as anger, judgment, and resentment, that we have toward another person. All of those definitions are wrong. All of them. Let me show you a Facebook interaction I had a couple of years ago. Uh, For you guys who don't know, uh, I spent (coughs) three years as a chaplain and counselor at a drug and alcohol rehab. And, And so I taught on... Uh, Forgiveness as part of the rehabilitation curriculum. And one of my guys graduated and Facebook friended me. And uh, one day I was reposting Tim Keller as you do. Uh, And what Tim Keller had said was this When you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt, you bear it yourself. All forgiveness then. Is costly. And this guy replied, Forgiveness is a hard thing to remember, I can give, especially on those days when I forget I'm deserving of forgiveness as well. But it's been one of the most freeing aspects of recovery. And the minute I read that, I knew something had gone wrong, because he did not understand forgiveness. There's a huge problem with what he said there. So this is my rather overlong reply, but this guy could handle it, and so can you. Wow, that's really readable, right? Uh, I'm apparently just going to read it to you because it's not on the screen. Uh, So this was my reply. This may seem a little counterintuitive, but thinking that you deserve forgiveness actually makes forgiving harder. What will make forgiveness easier is when you realize you don't deserve forgiveness, but you get it anyway through grace by faith in Christ. Forgiveness is, by definition, taking on the cost another person owes, emotionally or otherwise even though they don't deserve for you to forgive them even though they haven't earned it and don't have any right to it because they should have to pay the price that they owe for hurting us in fact i'll just insert here if you wait for people to earn or deserve your forgiveness you are you have never forgiven them at all If you make someone earn or deserve your forgiveness, you will never actually forgive. You haven't forgiven. They've paid you back, but repayment is not forgiveness. Take it from a guy with student loans. Uh, You see, since, anyway, my uh, reply continued. Since Adam and Eve sinned, the human race has not deserved God's grace. And yet he gives it to us, ultimately by giving his son Jesus to pay the price we owe. As long as you think you deserve forgiveness, you don't realize how bad off your sin really makes you. And you'll always make people earn their forgiveness in some degree. But when you realize that we didn't, don't, and cannot deserve to have God give his son on the cross for us, When you realize the only thing you deserve and the only thing you've earned is the wrath and curse of God for sin, yet you are forgiven by grace as a gift that you haven't earned and don't deserve, when you get there, you will be far more amazed and in love with God, and you'll finally be able to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us, Ephesians 4.32, a verse we're going to think a lot more about uh, as we go on. So that is, we learn to forgive by freely taking on the price others owe. Paying someone the price someone else owes, even though they don't deserve it, because Jesus took on the price we owe on the cross, even though we didn't deserve for him to. Uh, any, wow, this whole thing is just corrupted, which is really... Um, You forgive me. Well, that's good. (laughs) Some people, yeah. All right, let's take another shot at this. All right, there we go. Now it looks the way it's supposed to for a minute. Um, All right, so any thoughts about about how I've defined forgiveness so far? Or questions? Have I looked at it? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no. Um. That's, that's good. Yay. That's what I want to hear. Thank you for gratifying me. There we go. Good pat on the back. Ah. How do we assign cost? Your check's in the mail. I'll get there in a few minutes. Um, So, first, uh, let me give you a couple more quotes to sort of air this out. First, uh, there's a biblical counselor named Mike Wilkinson that uh, wrote in his book, Redemption, there are many benefits of forgiveness, such as those things I named near the beginning, right? Release from anger, bitterness, and resentment. Those are benefits of forgiveness, But they are not themselves forgiveness. For some, forgiveness, uh, Wilkinson says, is motivated by nothing more than these personal benefits. Dr. Phil, for example, says forgiveness is a choice you make to release yourself from anger, hatred, and resentment. It is not about your wrongdoers. It is about you. This so-called therapeutic forgiveness emphasizes the benefits for the forgiver... As she transforms negative emotions and motivations into positive emotions and motivations. It is not biblical forgiveness. Uh, as we often talk about, if you're loving God only for his benefits, you love the benefits and not God. If you're forgiving for the benefits, you're not forgiving yet. Um, Biblical forgiveness is a gift given to someone else, not a favor to oneself. So why should we forgive? Well, first and foremost, we should forgive because God forgives. Because we are moved by gratitude and compelled by the love of Christ to love others the way God has loved us. Uh, Or as C.S. Lewis put it, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Right? When it can't be about the benefits anymore, it suddenly gets way harder because it begins to cost us something to truly forgive. Now, C.S. Lewis said elsewhere and sort of... There you go again. Okay. Uh, C.S. Lewis said elsewhere... I'm going to see if I can't cue this up right here and fix this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, uh, In forgiving, you must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart. Every wish to humiliate or hurt or to pay him out. Right? Because that's really what we want to do when we've been wronged. We want to make people pay. Uh, The problem is, is then we're not really forgiving anymore. Um, We want to make them pay it out. The difference between this situation and the one that this particular uh, person that was writing a letter are asking uh, is that God's forgiveness is this. In our own case, we accept excuses far too easily But in other people's, we do not accept their excuses easily enough. And else, one more. Uh, We have to ask, how can forgiving like this, how can paying someone else's debt really be made possible? Well, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I work with and talk with so many people that say, I can never forgive so-and-so because of how they've hurt me. And I'm not saying those people are not Christians, but I'm saying they don't, they're not applying a full Christian worldview to that situation. I'm not saying they're not Christians, but I am saying they're not living Christianly in that situation. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's one and done. But I am saying, as long as you say, I will never forgive, I will never pay the debt they owe, because justice is they ought to pay it. They don't realize how much they need Jesus in that moment. It's to not realize what God has done for them. So how do we do this? How do we forgive like this? Wilkinson says, we do it as we are moved by gratitude and compelled by the love of Christ to love others the way God has loved us. In other words, we grow in our own ability to forgive and to take on another person's debt as we ourselves see Jesus more and more clearly. As we understand our own forgiveness, not only in our heads, but existentially, in our in, deep in our own emotions, what the Bible calls our heart. Or, said another way, that is the way the Bible says it, in Ephesians 4.32, we are kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we can think of... Uh, this uh forgiveness as debt cancellation and i want to look at two passages first will someone open up to matthew 18 matthew 18 and read for us verses 21 through 35 This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18:21 through 35. Somebody, please. Uh, verse thirty-five. So everyone's heart should have just stopped, because if you tell me that you have forgiven everyone that sinned against you that way, you're either self-deluded or a liar, or you have somehow reached entire sanctification. right, this uh, king shows what real forgiveness is. He just releases the debt, right? And and that means basically the king is paying it himself. That's really what it means, right? Apparently he loaned this guy some money, and now he's just not going to have that money back in his account. It's just gone. So he took the debt on himself. And, but when he learned that this servant wouldn't forgive another servant who owed far less, he unforgave him. I'm not saying God does that. Uh, but you got to go with the point of the parable, right? That's why we have to read parables carefully and not over-interpret them in bad ways. Um, but right, the the king is saying, do you not realize what I've done for you? Do you not realize what how I served you when I forgave you by taking your debt on myself. Fine then. And there's a point being made here that those who do not forgive from their hearts, again, at some point, okay? It's not one and done. It's not, if you can't do it entirely today, you're not saved. But if you're not moving towards this, if this is not your goal, to forgive everyone that sinned against you this entirely, at the very least, you don't fully understand the gospel yet, at least not existentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's actually a great point and I hadn't thought of it that way. So I'm going to chew that one over in my head. Uh, what what though what I actually all right, I'm going to give myself 30 seconds. So what I would actually say is your role as a police officer puts you in the role of the state with the power of the sword. And so forgiveness is not actually within your sphere. Uh, to use Kuiper's uh, sphere, if you ever, does this mean anything to you when I talk about spheres? Uh, um, Abraham Kuiper said that uh, people have different s- spheres, I keep saying, wanting to say spheres of influence, but that's the wrong, uh, spheres, like round ball. Yeah, we have spheres uh, in which we operate. And so the family has certain spheres and rights uh, and privileges, where the state has certain spheres and rights and privileges. Uh, The church has certain rights and spheres and privileges. And while there is sometimes some overlap, there may be a a Venn diagram of sorts, there's not a ton of overlap. Uh, And or at least not always overlap. That can be based on a whole bunch of factors. And I'm trying to keep this to one minute now. Um, But uh, so essentially, I would say that that's not your role. Your role in that is actually the good news of justice. We're actually going to talk about imprecatory prayers here in just a minute. Uh, imprecatory, it's like prayers of God, get this guy. Cause... Oh, you should. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'm going to grab... Here we go, and then I'll get you, Lee. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that, that was more my take as well. Although I'm really... Uh, intrigued by Moose's take and I think there may be some real legitimacy there so I'm going to look into that So there is a difference in the two, and the difference largely has to do with the preparedness to forgive, uh, and I will actually, so I'm going I'm to leave it at that, because I'm going to get to that more in a minute. Everyone's asking the right questions, because that's, <laughs> ah, yeah, um, so, let, let, I really am getting there. Colossians two verses th- <laughs> verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, yeah. Hmm. You guys don't have my handout yet, I can tell, because you'd know that these things are uh here, Edward, could you hand these out to everyone that doesn't have one of these? Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so I mean, I, I think Pam was was right on that often so I, I would actually disagree that it, uh, it's not emotion I, I think there's emotion on God's part behind the command, and God is an emotional God. in court it doesn't right right uh, and god outside of grace if god were did not have pity on us There would be no forgiveness. Right. Uh, So, I'm going to get to all these things. (laughs) Um, So Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 really takes the point of the parable of Matthew 18 and puts it in a quick didactic saying. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Uh, as Miroslav Wolf puts it, uh, forgiveness is the generous release of genuine debt. Uh, Or as Mike Wilkinson continued to say in his book, a helpful way to think about forgiveness is absorption. Imagine you're in traffic, and another driver swerves into your lane, cutting you off and forcing you to hit the brakes to keep from crashing into his bumper. What do you do? If you flip him off and slam on your horn, not for safety, mind you, but for payback, you offend everyone else around you. They have to tolerate your road rage on top of the usual stresses of commuting. Furthermore, maybe the guy who cut you off didn't mean anything personal by it. He just needed to move over quickly to make his exit. It happens. But you and your swearing definitely meant something against him. You have refused to absorb the offense and in the process have compounded the sin. Absorption says this counselor, a different one, is at the heart of forgiveness. Absorption is at the heart of forgiveness since it involves the ability to deal with the pain in a way that will not be passed on to anyone else. Or as Tolstoy put it, to forgive is to swallow evil and prevent it from going further. On the cross, Jesus overcame evil with good. He didn't return evil for evil, he didn't pass on the evil by seeking revenge. He absorbed it. The only way we can truly absorb evil, the only way we can forgive, is to roll it over to Jesus, who deals with it for us in perfect love and justice. To do that is to show love for our enemy because of our desire that he should know the love and forgiveness because our desire that he should know the love and forgiveness of Jesus is greater than our desire to see him punished. So having sort of laid down this theology uh, of forgiveness, uh, I'm now going to get into answering a lot of the questions you've asked with this fun little graph that I've given you, where we're actually going to uh, air out the practicalities or the process. Of forgiveness. Now, just so you know, this forgiveness cycle is something I sort of came up with because of something Dan Allender said in his book, The Wounded Heart, which is a book about um, uh, uh, sexual abuse, particularly adolescent sexual abuse, uh, and uh, who he works a lot with people that were sexually abused as children, uh, and basically what it meant for them to find healing by forgiving those. Who sexually abused them. And just a little header. Forgiving those that sexually abused them. Did not always mean. Not testifying against them. Sometimes it meant sending them to jail. So there is a definite. Distinction. Between. Worldly consequences. Eternal justice. And the forgiveness of Christ. There has to be. While they overlap, there is a distinction between the three that we have to really sort through, and that's really its own like separate philosophy lecture in some ways. But we'll get into it uh, a little bit. Uh, But first, could someone go ahead and read Ephesians four verses twenty-five through thirty-two, and we'll dive into this uh, handout I've given you. Uh, Ephesians four verses twenty-five through thirty-two. So, I Dan Allender turned me on to this, but what I really saw is that in that uh, in that passage, there's actually a series of steps of sort uh, in what he goes through there, uh, and so I broke it down into six fairly overlapping steps of forgiveness, uh, and. Right, part of the reason there's a lot of overlapping is because, as I've said over and over again, forgiveness is not one and done. Forgiveness isn't something you just decide to do and it is finished. In that sense, we are not. like We are not like Jesus. Uh, oh, if we were, but we're not. Uh, so rather, as C.S. Lewis said, often you will forgive someone... And months later, you'll find yourself angry at them for the thing you forgave them for months ago and have to forgive them anew. And that process can happen over and over again as you more and more truly forgive them from your heart. Sometimes, in the cases of extreme debt, extreme sin against you, true forgiveness can take years to truly work its way into your soul And really may not even be truly realized in your heart until glory. But I think there are six relatively definite steps uh, of forgiveness that happen here. First, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And if you had read the passage right before this, and then you look at what comes after this, you realize that a lot of this has to do with being honest about people's sin. So the first step in forgiving someone is acknowledging the way you've been sinned against. Just saying, You did this to me, or maybe not saying it to them, although maybe saying it to them, but saying, This person did this to me, and that was sin. They hurt me, that was wrong. Oh, how many people find forgiveness by simply naming that they were sinned against. So we have to name the ways that people have hurt us. We have to name the people and the ways they have hurt us. We need to say that it was sin, and we need to call it out at least between ourselves and God, if not to them. Uh, And there's a lot of wisdom issues, and should you go confront them or not... That's a whole nother conversation. But we acknowledge the ways we've been sinned against. And we get angry about it. Anger at sin is not sin. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We cannot forgive that I mean at some level we cannot forgive sin we haven't been angry about because it is good to be righteously angry at evil now I'm not saying we all need to like blow a gasket that would be being angry and sinning and I'm not saying that all sin should elicit the same level of anger right my mild irritation with uh, my child and my anger at someone that Harmed my child are different things. But we acknowledge the the sin, we get angry about it, and we acknowledge the damage done to our soul by their sin. So Caitlin, this was this was your question. How do we figure out what they owe us? It's a little bit abstract. But we have to take account of the price they owe. What would they need to pay? What would they need to do? What would they need to fix to make right what they've made wrong. What price would they have to pay. If God wasn't going to fix it. And they had to fix it. What would they have to do. Well that's the debt they owe. Because they damaged your dignity. And they owe you a price. They didn't treat you as a human being. Made in the image of God. They hurt you and that's wrong. If you read Psalm 64. Right. It's uh, The psalmist is crying out to God, saying, these people hurt me, God, this is terrible, do something about this. We see the damage that was done to us, and we get angry. Because, right, even the psalmist says, Lord, take these people that are sinning against us and invading our lands, take their children and bop their heads against the rocks. That is a non-sinful prayer, says the book of Psalms. Imprecatory psalms are appropriate against those who do evil against us, because it's only sinful to do sinful things, like hate in anger or to take revenge," Romans 12:19. But it is right to be angry at true evil and to pray for the Lord to make it right. Now, the next step is the step that I think most people do not take. Once you've acknowledged the way you've been sinned against, and you've begun to work through what price is owed to you in light of that sin, you then need to stop and confess your sins, particularly those that have come out of the damage done to you. Uh, again, if, if you have ever worked with a counselor or you know anything uh, about just how uh, we are affected by the things that happen to us, our stories make us who we are. And often our sin patterns are a response to the ways we've been sinned against. So you have to ask yourself, where have you responded sinfully? Where have you hurt others because you were hurt? Where have you not trusted God or others because of how you were hurt? Where are you giving in to sins that aren't at first recognizable like ambivalence because of how you were hurt? Where have you sinned because of your pain? And what idols have you run to in order to comfort your heart? This became especially important when I was working with addicts. Because all of those things we've done are sinful responses to the ways we've been sinned against. And we need to confess and repent. Right? It's, it's what Jesus said. We have to deal with the log in our own eye before we go about removing the speck in another's eye. You've got to deal with the sin in your life before you're ever ready to go confront someone else. Or even ready to forgive them for their sin. But what's more, as you begin to confess, you also move towards repentance, which is going to be the next thing. But that is actually the first step towards forgiving. Because you yourself are having to go to Jesus. Realize your debt is forgiven. You're actually receiving that spiritual well that is our Savior in order to, as Wilkinson put it, roll it over onto Jesus. And then, of course, confession, true confession, always leads to repentance, which is often very costly in and of itself. It costs us something to repent. It costs us pleasure. It costs us time. Uh, It costs us money sometimes. Right? Um, But we have to turn from our sins, our idols, those things that we've been wanting to come for us, comfort us and we have to turn to jesus we find forgiveness for our sins in christ we repent and believe we turn from our old way to the new way because jesus has freed us from sin right so ephesians 4 continues give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So many people will quote one of those verses, but it's a paragraph. It all goes together. And it's all actually having to do with our community relations with one another, particularly as sinners trying to live together in community. And then of course, the big kicker, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from from you along with all malice. And even as we begin to repent of our sins, we're already starting to pay a debt, right? Because we are we responsible for I am not denying our personal responsibility. For our own sins. And yet, life is complicated. I know some people like to simplify things. No, you're responsible for their sins and they're responsible for their sins. No, you're responsible for your sins and they also bear some responsibilities for the way you sin because you're responding sinfully to the way they sinned against you. No black and whites. That's not the Bible. That's not real life. Let's not do that. Except for like, you know, no murder. That's black and white. Um... So, as we repent of our sin, we're actually already participating in paying some of the debt they owe. Because we're no longer demanding that they fix us. We're taking responsibility for our sin. We're taking responsibility for fixing ourselves. And we're beginning to find healing for our soul from Jesus as we confess and repent and process. And then we begin to own the debt that they owe us. Right now we're really starting to go, okay, I get it now. I get what they did to me. I get how terrible it was. I get what they owe me. And as you're processing through this, as you're processing through the debt they owe, you can begin to pray Psalm 51 for yourself. You begin to adjust it for them. And you can begin to pray, Lord, forgive their sin. Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. As Jesus prayed for us. And as you own that debt as your own. At least emotionally. If not in other ways. And by the way I do not have time to get into the complexities of. Should you or should you not make someone face legal penalties for stuff. Okay that is a, a that's I think it's actually largely a personal decision. I don't know if there is a moral mandate one way or the other. Uh, but I also think there are. Uh, A lot of complexities to life and relationships that can make those decisions complicated. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to be done in the next 15 minutes. (laughs) But as you owe the debt that they owe you, as you own that debt as your own, you are at least emotionally, if not in other ways, taking that debt willingly upon yourself. You're bearing the cross and the cost of damage done to you. And yet, in that forgiveness, real healing comes upon you as you take it to Jesus, right? Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It is with his wounds that we are healed. And you begin to be able to bless your enemy. Bless and not curse them, as Romans 12, 14 says. Or uh, as, uh, could someone, my Bible's up in the pulpit. <laughs> So I don't have my Bible with me. I uh, could someone read one Corinthians four twelve. Yeah, we're we're beginning to even take people that are still actively against us and at least, in some manner, bless them. By the way, this is part of today's sermon. I didn't even plan this. Mike didn't plan it. It's just all here. The sermon and the Sunday school go together. It's perfect. Um, and yes, the senior pastor's just as animated as I am, so good luck with that. <laughs> um, so, uh, right, as we have paid the price for those people sin, so to, so to speak. We have taken their debt on ourselves as Jesus took our debt for sin on the cross. And that is what it means to forgive as God in Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4, 32. Now, once you've been through this whole process, now, insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all Romans twelve eighteen. you are free to make attempts to reconcile the relationship for the glory of God because of the Savior who has forgiven you. Now is where you make those wisdom decisions. Well, should I confront them? Do I need to go talk to them about it? And this is where we get into believers versus unbelievers. So we have a lot... I know uh, Mike has said to me, you can really only truly forgive someone when they have asked For forgiveness, and I've been chewing on that a little bit, and I I would add some nuance to that. I think there are—I would say there can be a there can be forgiveness uh, in the sense that you have already gone through this process, but I don't think there can be relational reconciliation, not true relational reconciliation, until the person has asked for forgiveness. So, uh, while it is true that all of these passages that we've read are about relationships between believers and unbelievers, and this is what is necessary to make a church full of sinners work, I think the principle still applies outside, but only insofar as we are actually being a witness to Christ. We're actually saying, God has not forgiven you yet, but he will. If you put your faith in Jesus, I forgive you and I want you to know that I forgive you. I take your debt because of what the Savior has done for me. But if you don't repent, friend, and, you know, is this the way you ought to go at it in every conversation? Again, wisdom applies. I'm giving you like this 10,000 foot view that you have to figure out what to do with. But at some level, you're saying if you don't repent, friend, God will exact the price you owe me. It won't matter that I forgave you. God will get the price. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Well, yeah, because, I mean, when you're in a Holy Spirit-filled community and you begin to have those interactions and they're going back and forth and they're circular, you begin to create an entire culture of grace. And so those are going to be your normal interactions, uh, which actually is why we can sort of, you know, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes, sometimes you don't go confront someone because you're like, that is just too small. and It will do more damage to confront them because that sin is going to get addressed a different way. Which is why I say it, it can't be you only forgiven when someone asks you for forgiveness or love covers a multitude of sins winds up meaning nothing. You, they, you have to deal with every individual thing. Uh, When instead, you can use wisdom and you can begin to have a more expansive view of what God is doing in someone's life. As you use wisdom to figure out, all right, is it time for Matthew 18? Go between me and them and tell them about it. And if they don't listen, then I'll go get two or three witnesses to make sure I'm confronting them the right way. You, You guys know that's what that verse is, right? It's not two or three witnesses of the sin. It's two or three witnesses to make sure you're not being a jerk in the way you're confronting them about their sin. Uh, And then if they still won't listen to me, then I'll get the whole church involved because where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, we have the keys of the kingdom. So that verse also is not about prayer. It's about the fact that the church can lock and unlock the gates of hell and heaven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, we are no one's savior, and yet God is glad to use us in the process of people's salvation. And so we joyfully participate in people's salvation and sanctification by lovingly talking with people about their sin. Amen. So, uh, I think Mike's got one, if not two, more lectures on forgiveness, but that's sort of where I'm wrapping up. Uh, So so basically, to summarize, forgiveness, theologically speaking, could be uh, uh, a sort of clamped down, forgiveness is debt cancellation, or forgiveness is paying the debt someone else owes. Uh, And there is a process of forgiveness that is cyclical and goes around and around and is complicated, but it at least involves acknowledging how you've been sinned against, getting angry about it, Taking account of what the person who sinned against you owes, realizing your own sin, confessing, repenting, beginning to heal, and then taking their debt upon yourself fully and never demanding it of the person that sinned against you. And possibly, if God leads you to, even going and helping them with their sin, not to get things made right for you, but out of love for them, that's forgiveness in a nutshell. Did you get all that? <laughs> uh, I- I- any? We we actually have like I'm going to give us. It's ten twenty-five, which is when Mike says I should be done. So I'm going to be a rebel and take questions for two minutes. <laughs> Beloved, we are children of God, and though what we will be has not yet been revealed, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. Or, when I point one finger at you, I keep seeing these other three pointed back at me. I guess I should point like this. (laughs) Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah amen so yeah, that's Christian strength Um, there's actually a handout that I know Mike is going to give out when he does his lecture that has a great little thing about what true repentance is Uh, it's so good I should have just passed it out today but I didn't so you'll get it when Mike does his Uh, but Uh, Essentially, I would summarize it as... So first, I would say what you just described is relational wisdom. There are sort of the technical parts to uh, asking for forgiveness in the best possible way. And then there's just the realities of broken people that are still working on it. So, I mean, the technical parts is, right, if you want to ask for forgiveness, you say, this is what I did. It was wrong. This is what I should have to do to make it right. I'm sorry, And out of thankfulness for Jesus, here's what I'm going to do to try and make it right a little bit. Not because it earns forgiveness from God or you, but simply because I see I made something wrong and it delights me to try and make it right. Uh, And then, will you forgive me? Those would be like the technical parts, but you're right. That was probably all in the heart of what was being asked. All right. That being said, I'm still done a minute early. So let's pray. Father, Father. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We ask that you would, by your Spirit, uh, make our forgiveness more and more an existential reality to our hearts, so that we would more and more live it out in our daily relationships, in our families, in this church, in our workplaces, and in your world for the glory of your name, so that there may be cycles of forgiveness that lead to conversions, salvations, and just your church loving one another better, which is how you said the world will know we are your disciples. Spirit, help us with forgiveness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.